0: Section 30 of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Valley. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson Section 30 My dear master gave me an account, when he went up, of the pains he had taken with his beloved sister, as he himself styled her, and of all the kind things the good families had said in my behalf, and that, he observed, she was not so much displeased with hearing them as she was at first, when she would not permit anybody to speak of me as his wife and that, my health, as his spouse, being put, when it came to her she drank it, but said, Come, brother, here is your Pamela to you. But I shall not know how to stand this affair when the countess and the young ladies come to visit me. One of these young ladies was the person who was so fond of promoting a match for, with her brother, Lady Betty, I know, she said, will rally me smartly upon it, and you know brother, she wants neither with nurse attire. He said, I hope Lady Betty whenever she marries will meet with a better husband than I should have made her, for in my conscience, I think I should hardly have made a tolerable one to any but Pamela. He told me that They rallied him on the stateliness of his temper, and said, "'They saw he would make an exceeding good husband where he was, "'but it must be owing to my meekness more than to his complacence, "'for,' said Miss Dunford, "'I could see very well enough when your ladyship detained her, "'though he had but hinted at his desire of finding her at our house.' He was so out of humour at her supposed non-compliance that mine and my sister's pity for her was much more engaged than our envy. Aye, said my lady, he is too lordly a creature by much and can't bear disappointment nor never could. Said he, well, Lady Davis, you should not for all persons find fault with me for I bore a great deal from you before I was at all angry. Yes, she replied, but when I had gone a little too far, as I own I did, you made me pay for it severely enough. You know you did, saucebox, and the poor thing too, added she, that I took with me for my advocate. So low had he brought me, he treated her in such a manner as made my heart ache for her but part was art i know to make me think the better of her indeed sister said he there was very little of that for at that time i cared not what you thought nor had complaisance enough to have given a shilling for your good or bad opinion of her or me and I own I was displeased to be broken in upon, after your provocations by either of you, and she must learn that lesson never to come near me, when I am in those humours which shall be as little as possible. For after a while, if let alone, I always come to myself, and I am sorry for the violence of a temper, so like my dear sisters here and, for this reason, think, it is no matter how few witnesses I have of its intemperance while it lasts, especially since every witness, whether they merit it or not, as you see in my Pamela's case, must be a sufferer by it, if unsent for, they come in my way. He repeated the same lesson to me again, and enforced it and owned, that he was angry with me in earnest just then though more with himself afterwards for being so but when pamela had said you wanted to transfer all the displeasure upon yourself it was so much braving me with your merit as if i must soon end my anger if placed there or it was making it so light to you that i was truly displeased for continued he i cannot bear that you should wish on any occasion whatever to have me angry with you or not to value my displeasure as the heaviest misfortune that could befall you but sir said i you know that what i did was to try to reconcile my lady and as she herself observed It was paying her a high regard. It was so, replied he, but never think of making a compliment to her or anybody living at my expense. Besides, she had behaved herself so intolerably that I began to think you had stooped too much, and more than I ought to permit my wife to do, and acts of meanness are what I can't endure in anybody but especially where i love and as she had been guilty of a very signal one i had much rather have renounced her at that time than have been reconciled to her sir said i i hope i shall always comport myself so as not wilfully to disoblige you for the future and i rather do i hope this as I am sure I shall want only to know your pleasure to obey it. But this instance shews me that I may more offend without designing it in the least. Now, Pamela, replied he, don't be too serious. I hope I shan't be a very tyrannical husband to you. Yet, do I not pretend to be perfect? Not to be always governed by reason in my first transports, and I expect from your affection that you will bear with me when you find me wrong. I have no ungrateful spirit, and can, when cool, enter as impartially into myself as most men, and then I am always kind and acknowledging in proportion as I have been out of the way. But to convince you, my dear, continued he, of your fault, I mean with regard to the impetuosity of my temper, for there was no fault in your intention that I acknowledge. I'll observe only that you met when you came to me while I was so out of humour, a reception you did not expect, and a harsh word or two that you did not deserve now had you not broken in upon me while my anger lasted but stayed till i had come to you or sent to desire your company you would have seen none of this At that affectionate behaviour which i doubt not you'll always merit and i shall always take pleasure in expressing and in this temper shall you always find a proper influence over me But you must not suppose, whenever I am out of humour, that in opposing yourself to my passion, you oppose a proper butt to it. But when you are so good like the slender reed to bend to the hurricane, rather than like the sturdy oak to resist it, you will always stand firm in my kind opinion, while a contrary conduct would uproot you with all your excellencies from my soul. Sir, said I, I'll endeavour to confirm myself in all things to your will. I make no doubt, but you will, and I'll endeavour to make my will as comfortable to reason as I can, and let me tell you that this belief of you is one of the inducements I have had to marry at all, for nobody was more averse to this state than myself, and now we are upon this subject I'll tell you why I was so averse. We people of fortune, or such as are born to large expectations of both sexes, are generally educated wrong. You have occasionally touched upon this, Pamela, several times in your journal, so justly that I need say the less to you. We are usually so headstrong, so violent in our wills, that we very little control. Humoured by our nurses, through the fault of our parents, we practice first upon them and chew the gratitude of our dispositions in an insolence that ought rather to be checked and restrained than encouraged. Next, we are to be indulged in everything at school, and our masters and mistresses are rewarded with further grateful instances of our boisterous behaviour. But, in our wise parents' eyes, all looks well, all is forgiven and excused, and for no other reason but because we are theirs. Our next progression is we exercise our spirits, when brought home, to the torment and regret of our parents themselves, and torture their hearts by our undutiful and perverse behaviour to them, which, which... However ungrateful in us is but the natural consequence of their culpable indulgence to us, from infancy upwards. And then next, after we have perhaps half-broken their hearts, a wife is looked out for. Convenience or birth or fortune are the first motives, affection the last, if it is at all consulted, and two persons thus educated thus trained up in a course of unnatural ingratitude, and who have been headstrong torments to everyone who has had a share in their education, as well as those to whom they owe their being, are brought together, and what can be expected but that they should pursue and carry on the same comfortable conduct in matrimony, and join most heartily to plague one another and, in some measure, indeed, this is right, because hereby they revenge the cause of all those who have been aggrieved and insulted by them upon one another. The gentleman has been never controlled, the lady has been never contradicted. He cannot bear it from one whose new relation, he thinks, should oblige her to shew a quite contrary conduct. She thinks it very barbarous now, for the first time, to be opposed in her will, and that by a man from whom she expected nothing but tenderness. So great is the difference between what they both expect from one another and what they both find in each other, that no wonder misunderstandings happen, that these ripen to quarrels, that acts of unkindness pass which even had the first motive to their union being affection, as usually it is not, would have effaced all manner of tender impressions on both sides. Appeal to parents or guardians often ensue. If, by mediation of friends, a reconcile takes place, it hardly ever holds. For why, the fault is in minds of both, and neither of them will think so so that the wound not permitted to be probed is but skinned over and rankles still at the bottom and at last breaks out with more pain and anguish than before separate beds are often the consequence perhaps elopements if not an unconquerable indifference possibly aversion and whenever for the appearance sake they are obliged to be together every one sees that the yawning husband and the vaporish wife are truly insupportable to one another, but separate, have freer spirits, and can be tolerable company. Now, my dear, I would have you think, and I hope you will have no other reason, that had I married the first lady in the land, I would not have treated her better than I will my Pamela for my wife is my wife, and I was the longer in resolving on the state, because I knew its requisites and doubted my conduct in it. I believe I am more nice than many gentlemen, but it is because I have been a close observer of the behaviour of the wedded folks, and hardly ever have seen it to be such as I could like in my own case i shall possibly give you instances of a more particular nature of this as we are longer and perhaps i might say better acquainted had i married with the views of many gentlemen and with such as my good sister supplying the place of my father and mother would have recommended i had wedded a fine lady brought up pretty much in my own manner and used to have her will in everything. Some gentlemen can come into a compromise, and after a few struggles sit down tolerably contented. But had I married a princess, I could not have done so. I must have loved her exceedingly well, before I had consented to knit the knot with her, and preferred her to all her sex. For without this, Pamela, indifferences if not disgusts, will arise in every wedded life that could not have made me happy at home, and there are fewer instances, I believe, of men's loving better after matrimony than of women's, the reason of which it's not my present purpose to account for. Then I must have been morally sure that she preferred me to all men, and to convince me of this she must have lessened not aggravated my failings. She must have borne with my imperfections. She must have watched and studied my temper. And if ever she had any points to carry, any desire of overcoming, it must have been by sweetness and complacence. And yet not such a slavish one as should make her condescension seem to be rather the effect of her insensibility than judgment or affection she should not have given cause for any part of my conduct to her to wear the least aspect of compulsion or force the word command on my side or obedience on hers i would have blotted from my vocabulary for this reason i should have thought it my duty to have desired nothing of her that was not significant, reasonable, or just, and that then she should on hers have shown no reluctance, uneasiness, or doubt to oblige me even at half a word. I would not have excused her to let me twice enjoin the same thing when I took so much care to make her compliance with me reasonable, and such as should not destroy her own free agency, in points that ought to be allowed her. And if I was not always right, that yet she would bear with me if she saw me set upon it, and expostulate with me on the right side of compliance, for that would shew me, supposing small points in dispute from which the greatest quarrels among friends generally arise, that, she deferred from me not for contradiction's sake but desired to convince me for my own and that i should another time take better resolutions this would be so obliging a conduct that i should in justice have doubled my esteem for one who to humour me could give up her own judgment and i should see she could have no other view in her expostulations after her compliance had passed, than to rectify my motions for the future. And it would have been impossible then, but I must have paid the greater deference to her opinion and advice in more momentous matters. In all companies she must have shown that she had, whether I deserved it altogether or not, a high regard and opinion of me, and this, the rather as such a conduct in her would be a reputation and security to herself. For if we rakes attempt a married lady, our first encouragement, exclusive of our own vanity, arises from the indifferent opinion, slight, or contempt she expresses of her husband. I should expect, therefore, that she should draw a kind veil over my faults, that, such as she could not hide, she would extenuate, that she would place my better actions in an advantageous light, and shew that I had her good opinion at least, whatever liberties the world took with my character. She must have valued my friends for my sake, being cheerful and easy, whomsoever I had brought home with me, and whatever faults she had observed in me have never blamed me before company, at least with such an air of superiority, as should have shewn she had a better opinion of her own judgment than of mine. Now, my Pamela, this is but a faint sketch of the conduct I must have expected from my wife let her quality have been what it would, or have lived with her on bad terms. Judge, then, if, to me, a lady of the modish taste could have been tolerable. The perverseness and contradiction that I have too often seen in some of my visits, even among people of sense as well as condition, had prejudiced me to the married state, and, as I knew I could not bear it, Surely I was in the right to decline it. And, you see, my dear, that I have not gone among this class of people for a wife, nor, no, I, indeed, where in my class I could have sought one, or had one suitable to my mind, if not you. For here is my misfortune. I could not have been contented to have been but moderately happy in a wife. Judge you from all this if I could very well bear that you should think yourself so well secured of my affection that you could take the faults of others upon yourself, and, by a supposed supererogatory merit, think your interposition sufficient to atone for the fault of others. Yet am I not perfect myself? No, I am greatly imperfect, yet Will I not allow that my imperfections shall excuse those of my wife, or make her think I ought to bear faults in her that she can rectify, because she bears greater from me? Upon the whole I may expect that you will bear with me and study my temper, till, and only till, you see I am capable of returning insult for obligation, until you think that I shall be of a gentler deportment, if I am roughly used than otherwise. One thing more I will add, that I should scorn myself if there was one privilege of your sex that a princess might expect as my wife to be indulged in that I would not allow to my Pamela, if you are the wife of my affections. I never wished for one before you, nor ever do I hope to have another. I hope, sir, said I. My future conduct, pardon me, said he. My dear, for interrupting you, but it is to assure you that I am so well convinced of your affectionate regard for me that I know I might have spared the greatest part of what I have said. And indeed, it must be very bad for both of us, if I should have reason to think it necessary to say so much. But one thing has brought on another, and I have rather spoken what my niceness had made me observe in other families than what I fear in my own. And therefore let me assure you, I am thoroughly satisfied with your conduct hitherto. You shall have no occasion to repent it, and you shall find... Though greatly imperfect and passionate on particular provocations, which yet I will try to overcome that you have not a brutal or ungenerous husband who is capable of offering insult for condescension or returning evil for good. I thanked him for these kind rules and generous assurances, and assured him that they had made So much impression on my mind that these and his most agreeable injunctions before given me, and such as he should hereafter be pleased to give me, should be so many rules for my future behavior. And I am glad of the method I had taken of making a journal of all that passes in these first stages of my happiness, because it will sink the impression still deeper and I shall have recourse to them for my better regulation, as often as I shall mistrust my memory. Let me see, what are the rules I have to observe from this awful lecture? Why? These. 1. That I must not, when he is in great wrath with anybody, break in upon him without his leave. Well, I'll remember it, I warrant. But yet I think this rule is almost peculiar to himself. 2. That I must think his displeasure the heaviest thing that can befall me. To be sure, I shall. 3. And so that I must not wish to incur it to save anybody else. I'll be further if I do. 4 that i must never make a compliment to anybody at his expense five that i must not be guilty of any acts of willful meanness there is a great deal meant in this and i'll endeavour to observe it all to be sure the occasion on which he mentions this explains it that i must say nothing though in anger that is spiteful or malicious That is disrespectful or undutiful and such like. Six. That I must bear with him even when I find him in the wrong. This is a little hard, as the case may be. I wonder whether poor Miss Sally Godfrey be living or dead. Seven. That I must be as flexible as the reeds in the fable, lest by resisting the tempest like the oak. I be torn up by the roots. Well, I'll do the best I can. There is no great likelihood. I hope that I should be too perverse. Yet sure the tempest will not lay me quite level with the ground neither. 8. That the education of young people of condition is generally wrong. Memorandum. That if any part of children's education fall to my lot, I never indulge and humor them in things that they ought to be restrained in. Nine. That I accustom them to bear disappointments and control. Ten. That I suffer them not to be too much indulged in their infancy. Eleven. Nor at school. Twelve. Nor spoil them when they come home. Thirteen. For that Children generally extend their perverseness from the nurse to the schoolmaster, from the schoolmaster to the parents. 14. And in their next step, as a proper punishment for all, make their own selves unhappy. 15. That undutiful and perverse children make bad husbands and wives, and collaterally bad masters and mistresses. 16. That, not being subject to be controlled early, they cannot, when married, bear one another. 17. That, the fault, lying deep, and in the minds of each other, neither will mend it. 18. Whence follow misunderstandings, quarrels, appeals, ineffectual reconciliations, separations, elopements, or, at best, indifference perhaps aversion memorandum a good image of unhappy wedlock in the words yawning husband and vaporish wife went together but separate both quite alive 19 few married persons behave as he likes let me ponder this with awe and improvement 20 Some gentlemen can compromise with their wives, for quietness' sake, but he can't. Indeed, I believe that's true. I don't desire he should. 21. That love before marriage is absolutely necessary. 22. That there are fewer instances of men's than women's loving better after marriage. But why so? I wish he had given his reasons for this. I fancy they would not have been to the advantage of his own sex. 23. That a woman must give her husband reason to think she prefers him before all men. Well, to be sure, this should be so. 24. That if she would overcome, it must be by sweetness and complacence. That is by yielding, he means no doubt. 25. Yet not such a slavish one neither, as should rather seem the effect of her insensibility than judgment or affection. 26. That the words command and obey shall be blotted out of the vocabulary. Very good. 27. That a man, she desire nothing of his wife, but what is significant, reasonable, just. To be sure, that is right. 28. But then, that she must not show reluctance, uneasiness, or doubt to oblige him, and that too, at half a word, and must not be bid twice to do one thing, but may not there be some occasions? when this may be a little dispensed with. But he says afterwards, indeed, 29. That this must be only while he took care to make her complaisance reasonable and consistent with her free agency in points that ought to be allowed her. Come, this is pretty well considering. 30. That if the husband be set upon a wrong thing, She must not dispute with him, but do it and expostulate afterwards. Good sirs, I don't know what to say to this. It looks a little hard, methinks. This would bear a smart debate, I fancy, in a parliament of women. But then, he says, 31, supposing there are only small points that are in dispute. Well, this mends it a little. For small points, I think, should not be stood upon. Thirty two. That the greatest quarrels among friends, and wives and husbands are or should be friends, arise from small matters. I believe this is very true, for I had like to have had anger here when I intended very well. Thirty three. That a wife should not desire to convince her husband for contradiction's sake but for his own, as both will find their account in this, if one does, I believe it's very just. 34. That in all companies a wife must shew respect and love for her husband. 35. And this for the sake of her own reputation and security. For 36. That rakes cannot have a greater encouragement to attempt a married lady's virtue than her slight opinion of her husband. To be sure this stands to reason and is a fine lesson. 37. That a wife should therefore draw a kind of veil over her husband's faults. 38. That such as she could not conceal, she should extenuate. Thirty-nine that his virtues she should place in an advantageous light, forty and shew the world that he hath her good opinion at least, forty-one that she must value his friends for his sake, forty-two that she must be cheerful and easy in her behaviour, to whomsoever he brings home with her, forty-three that whatever falls she sees in him, she never blame him before company. 44. At least, with such an air of superiority, as if she had a less opinion of his judgment than her own. 45. That a man of nice observation cannot be contented to be only moderately happy in a wife. 46 that a wife take care how she has supererogatory superrogate to, to herself so as to take the faults of others upon her. Indeed, I think it is well if we can bear our own. This is of some nature with the third, and touches upon me on the present occasion for this wholesome lecture. 47. That his imperfections Must not be a plea for hers. To be sure, it's no matter how good the women are, but it's to be hoped men will allow a little. But indeed, he says, forty eight, that a husband who expects all this is to be incapable of returning insult for obligation or evil for good, and ought not to abridge her of any privilege of her sex. Well, my dear parents. I think this last rule crowns the rest and makes them all very tolerable, and a generous man and a man of sense cannot be too much obliged. And as I have this happiness, I shall be very unworthy if I do not always so think and so act. Yet, after all, you will see that I have not the easiest task in the world but I know my own intentions that I shall not wilfully err, and so fear the less. Not one hint did he give that I durst lay hold of about poor Miss Sally Godfrey. I wish my lady had not spoken of it, for it has given me a curiosity that is not quite so pretty in me, especially so early in my nuptials and in a case so long ago past, yet he intimated too to his sister that he had had other faults, of this sort I suppose, that had not come to her knowledge. But I make no doubt he has seen his error, and will be very good for the future. I wish it, and pray it may be so, for his own dear sake. Wednesday the seventh When I arose in the morning I went to wait on Lady Davers, seeing her door open, and she was in bed but awake and talking to her woman. I said, I hope I didn't disturb your ladyship. Not at all, said she. I'm glad to see you. How do you do? Well, added she, when you sit out for Bedfordshire. I said I can't tell, madam, it was designed as to-day, but I have heard no more of it. "'Sit down,' said she, on the bedside. "'I find by the talk we had yesterday and last night you have had but a poor time of it, Pamela. "'I must call you so yet,' said she, "'since you were brought to this house Tell within these few days.' and Mrs. Jukes, too, has given back such an account as makes me pity you. Indeed, madam, said I, if your ladyship knew all, you would pity me, for never poor creature was so hard put to it. But I ought to forget it all now and be thankful. Why, said she, as far as I can find, it's a mercy you are here now. I was sadly moved with some part of your story, and you have really made a noble defence, and deserve the praises of all our sex. It was God enabled me, madam, replied I. Why? said she. It's the more extraordinary, because I believe, if the truth be known, you love the wretch not a little. While my trials lasted, madam, said I, I had not a thought of anything but to preserve my innocence, much less of love. "'But tell me truly,' said she, "'did you not love him all the time?' "'I had always, madam,' answered I, a great reverence for my master, "'and thought all his good actions doubly good, "'and for his naughty ones, "'though I abhorred his attempts upon me, "'yet I could not hate him, "'and always wished him well. "'But I did not know that it was love. "'Indeed, I had not the presumption.' Sweet girl, said she, that's pretty said, but when he found he could not gain his ends and began to be sorry for your sufferings and to admire your virtue and to profess honourable love to you, what did you think? Think? Indeed, madam, I did not know what to think. Could neither hope nor believe so great an honour would fall to my lot, and feared more from his kindness. For some time than I had done from his unkindness, and having had a private intimation from a kind friend of a sham marriage intended by means of a man who was to personate a minister, it kept my mind in too much suspense to be greatly overjoyed at his kind declaration. Said she i think he did make two or three attempts upon you in bedfordshire yes madam said i he was very naughty to be sure and here he proposed articles to you i understand yes madam replied i but i abhorred so much the thoughts of being a kept creature that i rejected them with great boldness and was resolved to die before i would consent to them He afterwards attempted you, I think, did he not? Oh, yes, madam, said I, a most sad attempt he made, and I had like to have been lost, for Mrs. Jukes was not so good as she should have been, and so I told her ladyship that sad affair and how I fell into fits, and that they believing me dying forebore any attempt after this base one, she said. He was not so good as he should have been, returned I once in a garden afterwards, but I was so watchful and so ready to take the alarm. But, said she, did he not threaten you at times and put on his turn every now and then? Threaten, madam, replied I. Yes, I had enough of them. I thought I should have died for fear several times. How could you bear that? said she for he is a most daring and majestic mortal. He has none of your puny hearts, but is as courageous as a lion, and boy and man never feared anything. I myself, said she, have a pretty good spirit, but when I have made him truly angry, I have always been forced to make it up with him, as well as I could for child he is not one that is easily reconciled i assure you but after he had professed honourable love to you did he never attempt you again no indeed madam he did not but he was a good while struggling with himself and with his pride as he was pleased to call it before he could stoop so low and considered and considered again And once upon my saying but two or three words that displeased him when he was very kind to me, he turned me out of doors in a manner, at an hour's warning, for he sent me above a day's journey towards my father, and then sent a man and horse post-haste to fetch me back again, and has been exceedingly kind and gracious to me ever since, and made me happy that sending you away said she one hour and sending after you the next is exactly like my brother and it's well if he don't turn you off twice or thrice before a year comes about if you vex him and he would have done the same by the first lady in the land if he had been married to her yet has he his virtues as well as his faults for he is generous Nay, he is noble in his spirit. Hates little dirty actions. He delights in doing good, but does not pass over a willful fault easily. He is wise, prudent, sober, and magnanimous, and will not tell a lie, nor disguise his faults. But you must not expect to have him all to yourself, I doubt. But I'll no more harp upon this string. You see how he was exasperated at me, and he seemed to be angry at you too, though something of it was art, I believe. Indeed, madam, said I, he has been pleased to give me a most noble lecture, and I find he was angry with me in earnest, and that it shall not be an easy task to behave unexceptionably to him, for he is very nice and delicate in his notions, I perceive, but yet. As your ladyship says, it exceeding generous. Well, said she, I'm glad thou hadst a little bit of his anger, else I should have thought it art, and I don't love to be treated with low art any more than he, and I should have been vexed if he had done it by me. But I understand, child, said she, that you keep a journal of all matters that pass, and he has several times found means to get at it should you care i should see it it could not be to your disadvantage for i find it had no small weight with him in your favour and i should take great pleasure to read all his stratagems attempts contrivances menaces and offers to you on one hand and all your pretty counter which he much praises your resolute resistance and the noble stand you have made to preserve your virtue and the steps by which his pride was subdued and his mind induced to honourable love, till you were made what you now are. For it must be a rare and uncommon story, and will not only give me great pleasure in reading, but will entirely reconcile me to the step he has taken, and that, let me tell you, is what I never thought to be for I had gone a great way in bringing about a match with him and Lady Betty, and had said so much of it, that the earl her father approved of it, and so did the duke of her uncle, and Lady Betty herself was not averse, and now I shall be hunted to death about it, and this has made me so outrageous as you have seen me upon the matter. But when I find by your writings that your virtue is but suitably rewarded, it will be not only a good excuse for me but for him, and make me love you. There is nothing that I would not do, said I, to oblige your ladyship, but my poor father and mother, who would rather have seen me buried quick in the earth than to be seduced by the greatest of princes, have them in their hands at present, and your dear brother has bespoken them when they have done reading them, but if he gives me leave, I'll shew them to your ladyship with all my heart, not doubting your generous allowances, as I have had his, though I have treated them very freely all the way, while he had naughty views, and that your ladyship would consider them as the naked sentiments of my heart, from time to time delivered to those whose indulgence I was sure of. And for whose sight only they were written. Give me a kiss now, said her ladyship, for your cheerful compliance, for I make no doubt my brother will consent I shall see them, because they must needs make for your honour, and I see he loves you better than any one in the world. I have heard, continued her ladyship, a mighty good character of your parents as industrious, honest, sensible good folk who know the world, and, as I doubt not my brother's generosity, I'm glad they will make no ill figure in the world's eye. Madam, said I, they are the honestest, lovingest, and the most conscientious couple breeding. They once lived creditably and brought up a great family, of which I'm the youngest, but had misfortunes through their doing beyond their path for two unhappy brothers, who were both dead, and whose debts they stood bound for, and so became reduced, and by harsh creditors, where most of the debts are not of their own contracting, turned out all, and having without success tried to set up a little country school for so my father understood a little of accounts and wrote a pretty good hand, forced to take hard labour but honest all the time, contented, never repining and loving to one another, and in the midst of their poverty and disappointments, above all temptation, and all their fear was that I should be wicked and yield to temptation for the sake of worldly riches and to God's grace, and their good lessons, and those I imbibed from my dear good lady, your ladyship's mother, it is that I owe the preservation of my innocence and the happy station i am exalted to she was pleased to kiss me again and said there is such a noble simplicity in thy story such an honest artlessness in thy mind and such a sweet humility in thy deportment, notwithstanding thy present station that i believe i shall be forced to love thee whether i will or not and the sight of your papers i dare say will crown the work will disarm my pride banish my resentment on lady betty's account and justify my brother's conduct and at the same time redound to your own everlasting honour as well as to the credit of our sex and so i make no doubt but my brother will let me see them warden said my lady i can say anything before you and you will take no notice of our conversation, but I see you are much touched with it. Did you ever hear anything prettier, more unaffected, sincere, free, easy? No, never, madam, answered she in my life, and it is a great pleasure to see you so happy a reconciliation taking place where there is so much merit. I said I have discovered so much prudence in mrs warden that as well for that as for the confidence of your ladyship places in her i have made no scruple of speaking my mind freely before her and of blaming my dear master while he was blameworthy as well as acknowledging his transcendent goodness to me since which i am sure exceeds all i can ever deserve maybe not said my lady i hope you'll be very happy in one another and now i'll rise and tell him my thoughts and ask him to let me have the reading of your papers for i promise myself much pleasure in them and shall not grudge a journey and a visit to you to the other house to fetch them your ladyship's favour said i was all that i had to wish for and if i had that and the continuance of your dear brother's goodness to me i shall be easy under whatever else may happen and so i took my leave and withdrew and she let me hear her say to mrs warden it's a charming creature warden i know not which excels her person or her mind and so young a creature too well may my brother love her i am afraid my dear father and mother i shall now be too proud indeed I had once a good mind to have asked her ladyship about Miss Sally Godfrey, but I thought it was better, let alone, since she did not mention it herself. Maybe I shall hear it too soon, but I hope not. I wonder, though, whether she be living or dead. We breakfasted together with great good temper, and my lady was very kind, and asking my good master, he gave me very readily she should see all my papers when you returned them to me. And he said he was sure when she came to read them she would say that I had well deserved the fortune I had met with, and would be of opinion that all the kindness of his future life would hardly be a sufficient reward for my virtue and make me immense for my sufferings. My lady, resolving to set out the next morning to return to her lord, my master ordered everything to be made ready for his doing the like to Bedfordshire, and this evening our good neighbours will sup with us to take leave of my lady and us. End of section 32.